Did you guys know that there's a light bulb hanging in a fire station in Livermore, California that has been burning continuously since 1901? This particular light bulb is so old that it was in, originally installed in the room where the firefighters hitched up horses to wagons full of water because fire trucks were not even invented yet. And nobody really even figured out how special this light bulb was and how long it had been burning until about the 1970s. And they did some research, and apparently it's a pretty rare model, one of the first light bulbs mass manufactured. And it has like eight times the filament of a normal light bulb, which is one of the reasons why it's still burning strong. And my favorite thing about this light bulb is in 2014, it was getting so much news coverage that they installed a webcam so that people around the world could go online and see if it was still burning. And this 120-year-old light bulb has outlasted two webcams. So two webcams have broken and burned out in the time since uh, 2014. For over 100 years, one tiny light bulb has illuminated a fire station garage. And because of the light that it gives off, trucks get fixed, gear gets washed, Trainings occur, firefighters play cards, the station is functional. Many good things are happening from one tiny light bulb that's been shining in this dark world for 120 years. Uh, I do think that this light bulb must be really hard on the dads of, living, of uh, Livermore, California. My dad spent a lot of my childhood walking around our house in his bathrobe telling me to turn off the lights, not to leave light bulbs on. So I think that must be really hard uh, regardless of the ways that it inspires us. Uh, Ephesians 5.8 says, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. How often do you contemplate your responsibility to bring the light of God, the light of God's goodness, into the lives of others? Some of you are probably like, oh, there he goes. Because every time a preacher starts talking about bringing light or good things into the world, we have a tendency to stop listening. Like that's the thing that we would expect the most to hear when we go to church, God wants you to be good. You should try to be good. I think the reason why we sort of tune out that message to live as the light of God's goodness into the lives of others, maybe it could even be paralleled with that Christmas song, Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Do you guys remember the lyric from Santa Claus is Coming to Town when it says, He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness' sake. And somewhere along the line of going to church or just being around other Christians, we sort of believe this idea that that comes from the Bible and the Bible is telling us that we should be good for goodness sake, right? Like God's watching us. He knows if you've been naughty or nice. Be good for goodness sake. And so in the back of our minds, we commit to trying to be good just for the sake of being good. But I think we all know that there's a problem with being good for goodness' sake. And sometimes, many times, the reason why we're not good for goodness' sake is because there's a better reason to do something for our sake, right? If we're in a situation where a little, bit, a little tiny lie would help us, we value our sake better than we value for goodness' sake. If somebody that we know is just continually 
gossiping about us and trashing our reputation, like we value... Uh, uh, gossiping or, or, or trashing them to restore our reputation because we care more about our own reputation than we care about just goodness sake. Right? Or sometimes people bother us so much we would rather punch them in the face for the sake of revenge. Right? We care more about revenge than we do about just being good for goodness sake. But the theme of the sermon tonight and the theme of the sermon for the next five weeks is that the Bible never tells us to be good for goodness' sake. The Bible never says just try to be good for the sake of being good. The book of Ephesians tells us that as followers of Jesus Christ, our response to the gospel should produce light and new life in others. And you have to admit that's a lot different than just being good for the sake of being good. So as we jump into uh, studying Ephesians, uh, don't hear me say that we're all just going to try to be good people for the sake of being good people. Hear me say that Scripture is calling each one of us who follow Jesus Christ to grow in our ability to reflect the light and the new life that Christ has given us into the relationships and the lives of others. So let's spend the next 20 minutes exploring our call to produce life in the life of others. Let's just do it in two quick parts. In section one, let's talk a little bit about how the Bible uses this metaphor of, of living in the light or being light, as it says in Ephesians. And then let's wrap up with uh, four clear ways that today's passage, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, teaches us that we can bring light into the lives of others. All right, so section one, moving towards the light. Let's examine one of Scripture's most pervasive metaphors. Light is synonymous with the presence of God from Genesis all the way to Revelation. The metaphor of light equating God's goodness and God's presence is used in the Bible over 200 times. So it's very common. It's something that we're clearly supposed to spend time thinking about. Let me ask a question to everybody in the church except for the first two rows. Is light ever a good thing? Because right now, they're like, light is terrible. It's, it's blinding me. But for everybody else, let me ask the question, is light ever a bad thing? And we might be able to think of one or two examples, but almost overwhelmingly, light is always a very good thing. We're drawn to spend time or to buy homes that have great natural light. A well-lit office space inspires creativity and productivity. Sunsets relax us, but sunrises inspire us. When a crisis or a dilemma occurs, we typically need more time and we need in more information. So we say something like, let's, let's just wait to see what comes to light. Small children are given a nightlight to ease their irrational fears. And there's actually a plant in my office that leans about eight inches to one side because it's trying to catch the sunbeam that comes in through the skylight because for a plant, light literally gives life. So when the Bible has this metaphor of how we're called to live in the light over 200 times, let's not dismiss it just because we've heard it so many times. Let's not dismiss it just because it's so obvious. In Ephesians, we're told to live in the light, and Christ's followers are called to bring the peace, the inspiration, the resources, and the new life of Christ 
into the lives of those around us. When it says live in the light, that's what it's telling us to do. Becoming a Christian isn't just a, a, a choice that you make one time and then you have people to identify with until you die. Like It, it brings with it purpose. And the intentionality of Ephesians is that we're called to grow in our capacity and our frequency to bring this light, this positive influence of the goodness of God into the lives of other people. So there's this conflict between light and darkness that we see all throughout the Bible. One place that uh, summarizes this very well is in Colossians 1, 12 to 13, and it says this, The Father has qualified us to be receivers of the inheritance of the saints of light. He's delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So here we have even more more clear direction as to what the Bible means when it tells us to be light and to bring light into the lives of others. It's saying that darkness is characteristic of a life that's been unchanged by the gospel, and therefore lightness is the key descriptor of this new kingdom that a Christ follower has entered. So for the next six weeks, five weeks including, or six weeks including today, we're going to focus on some passages in Ephesians that tell us how we can grow in our ability to be light to other people. Sometimes things like that feel just sort of ambiguous, just something that becomes Christian vocabulary. But Ephesians is really specific in how we can do this and how we can grow in our ability to be light. Ephesians 5.14 says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Clearly this is something we're supposed to grow in our ability to do there's a pervasive problem in Christianity, and it's, it's this, and we're all guilty of it. It's that whatever age we were before we became followers of Christ, we became familiar with living that way, right? So, so before we were transformed by the light of the gospel, we generally did what was in our own best interests. We often believed in Murphy's Law that anything that could go wrong would go wrong. We would tend to keep control of the most important areas of our life. We punished those who wronged us, and the list goes on and on. And as Christians, we so often revert back to those impulses and to those patterns. But Ephesians is one of many places that tells us we're citizens of a new kingdom. We should have new habits, we should have new impulses, we should have new goals. And today's passage offers us four specific ways that we can live as people who are light and we can bring light into the lives of others. Uh, Today's sermon is going to be really quick. It's going to be really to the point. But don't mistake that for this being a simplistic message. This is sort of like graduate school Christianity. Not in the sense that it takes really smart people to do it, but, but, but more in the sense that a lot of people will drop off along the way before they ever get to this point, before they ever take these maturity markers seriously, that this is what a Christian should be striving to do as they grow in their ability to reflect the gospel into the lives of other people. So we're already halfway done. Can I see some smiles? All right. Ephesians 4, 25-32 gives us four very clear, very specific ways that we can be light to other people. And as I just said, they, they somewhat come contrary to the way that we sometimes think 
and we sometimes look to our own best interests. So let's look at our first uh, teaching today on how we can be light. And it comes from Ephesians 4, 25 to 27, and it says this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay? That's all stuff we're expecting to hear in church, right? But let's be honest, that's not stuff that we typically actually do. And this passage gives us a really fascinating contrast between God's relational goals for you and others and the devil's relational goals for you and others. What it's saying here in Ephesians 4, 25-27 is that God wants you to speak truthfully and He wants you to use your conversation and your words to build relational equity with others. You know, you, we, all know what equity, we all know what financial equity is, right? The more money you have saved up in the bank, the more vacations you can go on, the bigger house that you can afford, the, 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 the more gear you can buy for a ski season, right? That's financial equity. It's telling us here that we're supposed to speak truthfully and we're supposed to be peacemakers and we're supposed to view other people that are in our lives as relational members of the same congregation, of the same country club, whatever the most treasured group that you belong to, Ephesians 4, 25 to 27 is saying the people that you converse with are part of the same body, the same club, the same group, and you can bring light into those relationships by having the discipline and the self-control to speak truthfully and to be a peacemaker. I was trying to think of if I had any recent illustrations of that in my own life, and I did come up with a pretty recent one. Uh, we got a new neighbor about a month or so ago uh, in our townhomes. Uh, he's a really nice guy. He, uh, he, his family's in transition moving here. And uh, a minor conversation occurred between he and my wife that I, I'm not sure exactly what was said, but I had enough to be mad about right? Like from what was reported back to me, I knew that I had an opportunity to have a good old-fashioned southern feud. Like I could, I could be really mad at this guy because of things that were said. And uh, as I spent a couple days reflecting on what my response was going to be, I just sort of felt this inclination that it's better to be at peace with your neighbor than at war with your neighbor. Does anybody agree with that? <laughs> Well, about a week and a half later, uh, I had some unexpected travel plans change, and I needed to host five people in my town home unexpectedly. And I've already got six kids, so that's already six beds. Like, who, who in the world has ten beds, you know? And it struck me that my neighbor's son and uh, daughter were, were going back to their other home for a week or so, and this idea popped into my head. I'm not really close with this guy, but I know that he's got a couple of extra mattresses. So I sent him a text. I said, I know it's weird, and if the answer is no, I'm not going to exert any pressure, but could I borrow a couple mattresses for a week? And he said, absolutely, no problem. The point of the story is when we're truthful in speech, when we're peacemakers in relationships, it always produces relational equity. There's always more good things that can come than, than when we feud 
when we fight and when we give the devil a foothold, as it says in that passage. Let's just be really honest. Being truthful in everything that we say, de-escalating arguments, and trying to be at peace with those around us, that is not a secular concept. That is not how most people handle relationships. But the author of Ephesians is telling us that as we have the discipline to be peacemakers and to speak truthfully and not to let disputes escalate into feuds, we are bringing light into our relationships that will benefit everybody over time. The next way that today's, tonight's passage tells us that we can produce light is in Ephesians 4.28. Would you turn there with me? It says this, Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but they must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. I don't get the sense that we have a lot of kleptomaniacs here today, uh, but it's a principle. It's saying there's times that we have negative habits, and, and, and we're called to reverse those and, and, and to use our resources to do positive things. Uh, just as we're called to honesty and transparency in our speech in those previous verses, here those who wish to produce light are called to be honest in their career, in their business, and in their actions. Was there ever a time that you stole? Was there ever a time that you were dishonest? Take those hands that used to steal and make something, and then you'll have something to bless somebody else with. About three months ago, uh, I had a random uh, illustration in a sermon where I talked about this uh, program in California where uh, really violent offenders, really violent criminals, work with really violent dogs that were rescued from these dog fighting rings. And uh, this really beautiful transformation occurs where these prisoners are the hands-on uh, uh, caregivers for these, these dogs that used to fight to the death. And uh, as they reform these dogs, they start to see that they can be reformed. And uh, this particular program had like an 80% reform rate uh, for uh, its graduates that then went out into society and didn't become incarcerated again, right? Like when you're in jail, you can sit around and play cards, you can sit around and gamble, you can sit around and watch daytime TV. There's probably a lot of ways that you can waste your time. But these particular inmates in this program, they rehabilitated dogs. And then when they left prison, then when they were released, they had a trade, something that they could do that was beneficial. They could get a job. Uh, and it's a beautiful illustration of this principle. God wants us to use our time for productive things because we will then have skills and resources that we can use to produce uh, blessings for others. Um, I just want to throw out a challenge for you guys. What do you do with your spare time? You can use your skills. You can use your gifts to bless others. And you will produce light as you do that. Uh, moving on here as we start to wrap up, the third uh, tangible way that we can be people who produce light is in Ephesians 4.29, and it says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I just want you guys to silently think about all the things that you said today, all the things that you said the last week, 
How much more of a voice would you have? How many less words would you have spoken if you only verbalized things that were beneficial for building others up? I had a friend once, and uh, when he was dating his uh, future wife, he once uh, gave her the nickname Sunshine. He just said something like, let's, let's go to the car, Sunshine. And her face instantly changed, and she started to tear up. She said, don't ever call me that. When I was a child, I had an abusive father, and he used that term in the most derogatory and sarcastic way. He'd say, he'd say oh, aren't you a ray of sunshine? And the list would go on and on. And she said, every time I ever heard that name, it hurt. And I knew how unloved and abused I was. Now, this is a gutsy call right here, right? At this point, the guy says, I'm going to use that name and I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to call you sunshine. And every time I say it, it's going to be out of affection and love. And it might hurt at first, but there's going to come a time when you hear that name and it's going to fill you with, with love and affection and it's going to make you feel loved and not abused. About 30 or 40 years later, that's exclusively what that woman goes by. People just call her sunshine. That's, that's the name that she goes by. And words have a power to tear people down. And in Ephesians 4.29, Christ followers are called to use their words to build people up. Replace those negative images. Replace those negative memories and experiences. Use your words to build people up. It says right here, so as to impart grace to the hearers. Our speech has a, a, an ability to tear people down and leave them feeling awful, but it also has a power to impart grace, a beautiful thing that we all need more of. All right, the final tangible and concrete way that we're called to bring light. Don't you love how the Bible isn't just giving us these, these nice things to think about? It's telling us how we can bring light into the lives of others. And our final example from today's passage comes from Ephesians 4, 30 to 32, and it says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. In other words, the final way that this section of Scripture tells us that we can bring light and vitality and goodness into the lives of others is that we can do to others what Christ has done for us. We can do for others what Christ has done for us. Let me close with this illustration. My best, my best friend who works uh, at a Christian camp in northern Wisconsin, uh, so his children have had the privilege of growing up in a very positive and a very safe place. They've just always been surrounded by really accepting and affectionate Christians. So the impact of this environment was demonstrated a few years back as my friend's family walked into a highway truck stop. Their young daughter found her path blocked by a road-hardened, stoned-faced, overweight motorcyclist just standing there right in the aisle. He was dressed mostly in leather with a t-shirt with uh, like skeletons who were actually on fire, like burning corpses or something really scary. And so the rugged biker and the three-year-old girl briefly eyed each other as they blocked each other's path. Three-year-old, this three-year-old Addie then told the man 
that she really liked his shirt and she hugged his leg as hard as she could. Um, according, to the, according to my friends, his face got red and then tears started to come out. Like the love and the affection and the acceptance of this child made a Harley-Davidson enthusiast cry right there in the truck stop, right there in the gas station. Um, she was simply taking two things, acceptance and affection, that had been shown to her in Christ, through Christ, and she was reflecting those to somebody else who wasn't used to receiving those attributes. Uh, and of course, it was uh, impacting him in a really dynamic way. Um, I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward and uh, wrap up our service with a final song or two. And uh, as they do, I lost the last page of my notes, but I'll just say this. We go to church and we hear things like this. Be light. Shine your light to the world. And it's so easy to think of that as just an abstract thing that Christians say. But that's not what it means in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians it tells us that if you have found Christ, if the love and the forgiveness, if, if, if the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has brought you into a new kingdom, we are now called to reflect that into the lives of others. We're called to bring that light to others. And we can do that with the way that we talk. We can do that with our habits. Uh, and we can do that by being to others what Christ has been to us. I challenge you guys in the next week to grow in your approach and in, in, in the intentionality of how you can be that light to others. It tells us in Ephesians 5.18 to be light. Let's be light to others uh, and, and uh, allow Christ to transform them as he has transformed us. And let's think about that as we wrap up with these final songs.